Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. Policy Director Elizabeth Gore, Policy Advisor Greta Joins, DC shareholder Bill McGrath, and LA shareholder Diane DeFelice, all members of the firm's infrastructure group, come together to discuss a potential infrastructure bill this year, how the funding might work, rural broadband, and how the desire to shorten the time frame for infrastructure projects could influence the environmental review process. Welcome back to another podcast uh, by Brownstein. We're very happy to be talking today about infrastructure. We have four incredible folks from the Brownstein team here that have a lot of uh, knowledge around this issue. Elizabeth Gore, Policy Director, serves as the Chair of Brownstein Government Relations Department. Elizabeth previously served as Chief of Staff to Senator Byron Dorgan, as a Special Assistant to the Clinton White House, and in the House Committee on Budget. Having over 20 years of experience in Democratic politics and advocacy, Elizabeth provides clients with insight on the legislative and regulatory outlook for a variety of public policy topics, including energy and technology issues. Bill McGrath is joining us also. He's a shareholder, brings a unique blend of policy and legal experience to the firm's natural resource department. Most recently, Bill served as the staff director for the Interior, Energy, and Environment Subcommittee of the House Oversight and Government Reform Committee. There, he worked on some of the country's most high-profile natural resource issues. He served as the lead investigator into the Flint water crisis, spearheaded the committee's investigation, the Keystone XL pipeline, and exposed the flawed rulemaking process underpinning the clean water rule. Also, Greta Joins, policy advisor, brings more than a decade of Capitol Hill experience to her government relations practice. Greta Joins provides her clients with an in-depth advice grounded in a strong background of telecommunications and technology policy. She has drafted key legislation and amendments related to those industries, including the Dot-Com Act, the Next Generation Public Safety Technology Act, and the FCC Collaboration Act. Prior to joining Brownstein, Greta served as Deputy Chief of Staff and Legislative Director for Representative John Shimkus, where she worked with Energy, the Health, Environmental, and Economy Subcommittee, and advised the congressman on the House Energy and Commerce Subcommittee on Communications and Technology. Diane DeFleece is a shareholder from our Los Angeles office, which, again, shows the reach of the Brownstein team from California to D.C. She effectively combines her transactional real estate planning, land use, and environmental law practices with proven litigation skills to varying development scales from a few units to a large infrastructure projects. With more than 25 years of experience, her proficiency helps developers, investors, cities, and other private sector clients navigate public agencies' administrative processes to streamline land use and planning. Diane has an industry-leading experience with the California Environmental Quality Act, National Environmental Policy Act, and Subdivision Map Act, as well as the Coastal Act. And we're going to get right into it. We have a president that's proposed an infrastructure bill that there's been a lot of talk about it. Uh, the federal government in the bill will put approximately $20 billion a year over 10 years. The rest will be some sort of mechanisms that will finance uh, infrastructure. I've heard, I know the governor associations were in town this last week. A lot of them not very excited about it. Before that, the mayors were in town because what I was hearing from them 
was it sounds like they got to go figure out the financing on these, which means taxpayers, local property taxpayers, will be paying the bill somehow, and the federal government isn't doing their obligation. Now, that's seemed to be almost bipartisan conversation, which I thought was very interesting, uh, because there's not much of that goes on here in D.C. at times, except when you talk about infrastructure. Everyone loves infrastructure. But then when it's time to pay for it or figure it out, everyone kind of runs to the hills or says there's no way it can be done. So let's first, the basic question is, will there actually be some sort of infrastructure bill in Congress this year? And I'll start with Elizabeth Gore. Well, I think it's unlikely. It's hard to see the program coming together, given the fact that there's still a lot of confusion about what would actually be included and how it would be funded. Uh, The president did put his proposal forward, but it's not clear to me that there's consensus about what would be the foundation for this particular program. I do think that it's possible. And so we've been working with folks to make sure that they're at the table uh, because we wouldn't want anybody to lose an opportunity to be a part of anything that did move forward. So I think it's unlikely, but I do think it's possible. Again, welcome, Diane. You're from our L.A. office, and we appreciate you being here. And I know you deal with investors and other folks around infrastructure in cities and others. I mean, what, what are you kind of hearing in, in on the ground? Do people believe there will be something Congress will do on infrastructure, do you think, from folks that you deal with, clients you deal with? I think there's a great hope. Um, you know, I think a few years ago, everybody on the East Coast probably heard about the big San Bruno gas leak mm-hmm. and the deaths resulting from that. And that was an infrastructure project that had gone, uh, you know, 50 years without having any kind of refurbishing. And it was just left in the ground. And the result was catastrophic. And so there's projects like that, similar Uh, you know, city and agency projects that have just been shelved because of the great deficit that the California government sees. So the funding issue is critical. I think, as Elizabeth mentioned, it's it's very it is a both sides of the aisle conversation. The infrastructure for the cities and the public is needed. How we do it is an entirely different story, but there are great minds here. There has to be a way to make sure that people are safe, especially since in California, people are congregating to Los Angeles and San Francisco and to the big, in, urban areas. big urban areas. So it's a, it's interesting that, you know, there's this mention of rural development, which would go to, you know, farmlands in California. Mm-hmm. But I think there's also the issue of how do you, you know, move all those people safely in small areas on a continuing basis. I, I would just say Diane makes the point about the deficit in California. And one of the challenges with the proposals that have been put forward is there's no funding mechanism. And there's a lot of conversation about public-private partnerships. Those only work for very specific kinds of projects. And there's no um, dedicated funding source that either the administration or, frankly, members of Congress have identified to pay for these. And without a funding source, it's just difficult to see how this moves forward. Let me ask um, Greta, you, you, I know one of the issues that you talk about a little bit is telecom off and on. Um, 
you know, we've talked about infrastructure. Usually people think of it as, you know, roads, water and sewer, you know, kind of the the, the, the concrete and metal. But really the, the discussion is expanding to is broadband part of it, rural broadband important, uh, and I know there's conversation around some of the programs are sort of adding that into it. W- w- do you think that's a r- realistic or is that just, you know, certain groups making that rumor possible? So then maybe they, it turns into reality. What, what do you think? Um, you know, I think I think the problem with rural broadband, I think it's it's the same as with infrastructure in general, is that there, you know, nobody's really sure where the money is coming from. Nobody's really sure how it would be allocated. So I think, um, you know, when, when you're talking about rural broadband, I think what is also very difficult is to try to define what is rural. And we haven't done that yet. I know that there is going to be a pot of money, most likely in the omnibus um, for broadband mapping, which will mm-hmm. be a defined set of speeds that NTIA will focus on to essentially define, you know, where these cutoffs are. And so we have maps where hopefully we can prioritize money. Now, that being said, there's a lot of differing opinions on where those type of speeds should be. Mm-hmm. Should, should they be forward looking or should they be where where we are today? And so, um, you know, when we went through BTOP on the Hill previously, that was a big discussion as we started, you know, the federal government wrote checks without essentially knowing where the real needs were. And so Republicans want to make sure they don't make those same mistakes again, because there was a lot of money that was wasted during BTOP, and there wasn't a lot to show for it. If you look at kind of where we have evolved to today, a lot of those communities still don't have the same type of connectivity that you're seeing in suburban or exurban areas. So um, I guess I'm I'm not super optimistic that that we could get something this year, but I, I do think something um, possible, you know, would be like a streamlining some sort of regulatory, mm-hmm. you know, let's let's make it easier to put up small cells, like let's make it easier to put up towers, something like that, I think is feasible in the short term. But in terms of a broader package, probably not. Bill, let me ask you in regards to um, infrastructure, one of the big issues that always comes up is, and I think Elizabeth makes the point, the money's not there, but let's assume for a moment, there's money found, the bill goes forward. But really what people also argue about, and I think the president has proposed, well, makes the statement, and, and I say statement, that we're going to take it from 10 years to one year to get these projects, or two years more likely, but hopefully to one year. Now, we can argue if that's correct, but that's his statement. Is there, in this process of an infrastructure bill, it seems to me this is also going to be ripe for regulatory, and I'll use the words carefully here, reform. Some might say stripping. Uh, some might say eliminating. But do, do you think that's going to be a pivot point in this? In other words, it's not just an add-on. It's like a major part of an infrastructure bill, not just build stuff. But I think it would be key to especially to keep Republicans interested in moving forward with further spending on infrastructure. There's such an appetite from private organizations to put money into infrastructure projects, but I think how that money is spent gets into the environmental review process. Mm -hmm. When it takes five years to put a sewer pipe down, Mm -hmm. because you have to go through all the planning process. When it takes 10 years to to permit a mine. All of these things lead into the the cost of money over time. And so if, if that... Um, permitting process is is reduced 
to and I don't think it would, it's anyone wants to eliminate that process. I think it's a reduction to getting it into a time frame that's more reasonable uh, can be reduced. You can actually save a lot of this money that is spent over that period of time. So maybe you take that that two hundred billion over ten years that's being talked about, and that goes a lot further when you do something like that. Now I know at the agency level, some of this is already happening. The age, a few of the agency Department of Interiors put out a secretarial order to try to move to that two year process. The Council on Environmental Quality is working with agencies to get there. So I know it's happening behind the scenes, but if it could happen through a legislative vehicle, that would be ideal. You know, California uh, has definitely been a proponent of expediting large projects similar to infrastructure, but the difference is is they are investment-backed. So it is going to be the Sacramento Stadium that gets built in a year with the expedited environmental approvals. It just basically bypassed the California Environmental Quality Act, and the stadium went up. Mm-hmm. And so there's those types of incentives, but there's a lot of private money with return on investment that comes back. So with an agency infrastructure project, as Elizabeth mentioned originally, the public-private partnership comes into play, but how that is worked in this new package is going to be uh, yet to be seen. Yep. Elizabeth? Let me just comment on Bill's remarks. I think that the permitting piece is in some ways, you know, a very symbolic subset of the larger infrastructure package. Everybody, both sides of the aisle, all across the country can agree that we need to have more investments in infrastructure. But it's when you try and drill down on what are the specifics. Uh, Greta laid out some of the particulars on broadband. We've talked already about some of the financing pieces. That's when it gets complicated. And I think the same is true for federal legislation on this permitting reform. Everybody agrees, hey, we need to make this process more efficient. And Bill makes a great point that there's a cost in in having these projects drag out. But there is a difference of opinion about what's a reasonable environmental review, uh, what processes are appropriate to either do um, concurrently, and and which ones really need to give the full um, amount of time for people to raise concerns and, and raise some of these environmental issues. And so, it's very broad support at sort of 30,000 feet. It's when you drill down and try and write a bill to get it through the process that you run into real um, hurdles. And, and I think that's what would happen uh, here. I think Elizabeth's probably right that if we ended up getting to a bill, you're probably not dealing with a, a serious uh change to the entire NEPA process. You're probably dealing on the edges like the FAST Act did a few years ago to make small changes to certain projects that might be funded this way. It's more realistic. Let me ask you kind of a, you know, the question that no one really wants to answer because, like I said, everyone likes, when you say infrastructure, everyone's like, we're in, let's go. Do we need it? Not, not, not in the sense of projects are out there that need it, but in an economy that's basically zero unemployment, when you think about where we are in real, we have interest rates starting to rise now, inflation starting to rise. You know, the, you know, how much can you put into the system before you cause other things to go the wrong direction? Anybody, Elizabeth? Well, I think if you have well-thought-out projects that fill a real need, it's never a bad time to invest. Infrastructure is such a critical part of in making our economy strong that I, I think that 
you're right. The marginal cost goes up during a, a hot economy. But if you pick are picking the right projects that have long-term payout in terms of the results that you get when they're completed, I, I think it's almost always a good investment. And I think trying to time it with an economic cycle is too hard to do and, and probably doesn't benefit um, the overall economy. Any other thoughts on that? Well, I would also say that I think that uh, along with that idea, it, there you're still at a relatively low interest rate overall for borrowing money at this time. So that I don't think that's a huge barrier at this point. Uh, I think that spending it smartly, thinking towards the future, is one of the keys. And so investing in, in infrastructure that will allow for the, the driverless economy when that comes, for increasing broadband as we move people out of city centers, things like that are, are probably key to the success of such a program. Will this become an indirect especially because it's coming from Congress, their indirect earmark bill that they're not allowed to do. And we get projects that maybe, you know, you talked about the, Greta, you talked about the broadband kind of prioritization, the mapping. Maybe it's really not on the map. Uh, I mean, do we fear that a little bit, Greta, in this, that it could be the hidden earmark bill that no one really wants to say? But I mean, you know, I... One, I, I do think that the earmark ban has uh, lost its luster, I think, among most members. Um, well, when I served at Lost the Luster today, it was passed. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just saying I thought it was a bad idea. but <laughs> You know, I, I, I do think there are members who are looking at critical projects in their district, and they, and they want a way to prioritize those projects. Um, and there's a lot of members who weren't here when we banned earmarks. I right. think 75% of the Republican conference has been elected in the past um, two to three terms. Is that mm-hmm. right, Bill? So right. Um, there are members who are, you know, traveling around their districts, and, and they want a way to get that money there. If, if there's an opportunity to do that in an infrastructure bill, I, I guarantee you there are going to be members that are going to try <laughs> and find a way to do it. Yeah. And you've already seen some of that in some hearings over the last few months, especially related to the Army Corps of Engineers. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of frustration with who's making the decisions on what projects move forward in the Army Corps because it has such an effect on the income for certain districts when you have a large dredging project or something like that. This is why in Alaska we like the Alaska Division of the Army Corps (laughs) because we know exactly where that money was going. And I remember when the earmark ban occurred, I sat down with the Corps and, you know, no, we had our earmark list uh, because it was Alaska generated Alaska uh, focus. So you could literally, I mean, it was unbelievable, but it is one of those challenges that are out there. California also has, you know, the similar goals and what we were talking about before with targeting in the future or do you target more or do you target what you can actually attain? California has decided 2050, we have to have 50% of our our energy from renewables. Renewable. Well, we don't have enough projects for our population to sustain that. So you would think that the renewable projects would jettison to the front. And mm-hmm. those are large infrastructure. You know, those are big projects to generate right. energy. But it's, you know, with our environmental climate, in California with CEQA and NEPA and people, uh, you know, very passionate. It's very difficult to get some of those projects approved. And, you know, years, like five years ago, six years ago, the solar projects couldn't get a solar project done. Now everybody's, you know, scrambling for solar projects mm-hmm. and wind projects, et cetera. So I think, uh, you know, with what Elizabeth said about trying to find the money, we have to be smarter about how we go about supporting, you know, not just 
today, but 10 years from now. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're all going to be, hopefully we'll all be here. And, you know, there's some planning that is for everybody's benefit, not just, you know, one project or another, but, but some type of coordination with what we need because the infrastructure projects are so large, you have to plan, you know, a certain amount ahead. So let me close on this and ask the uh, prediction question. And that is, and, and we'll just kind of go around the room and start with Greta. And that is an infrastructure bill uh, with details still to be worked out. What's the likelihood to get something before this year ends? Um, I think it would have to be something you would see in lame duck. Um, you know, so I, after election. Right. I just don't think that Mitch McConnell really has an appetite to move something that would be, I think, particularly beneficial to vulnerable Democrats up this cycle. Mm-hmm. I say no. it's probably not all that likely uh, this year. I would say if Democrats are able to take the House, it becomes a little more likely just because whatever the president gets, he usually signs. So I think at that point, it's probably more likely. Diane? little disadvantage because you know, get the view from California. Exactly, so, from so far away. So you're the away. hope of the I, answer. Exactly, and I am a glass half full girl, so you picked the right one. Um, no, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that people get past some of the, you know, difficulties and, and you know, work through it. I just think the infrastructure, as I said initially, um, it's so critical and the it's aging and we just need to take care of the aging infrastructure. Maybe, you know, that's a different way of going about it. Instead of, you know, starting the new projects, you, you know, target the projects that are at critical mass right now because of the population mm-hmm. and the demographics and start with something that's easier to bite off for everyone. Elizabeth, bring us the reality. I think there's a 17% chance. <laughs> <laughs> Elizabeth's always very good with getting to the, the heart of it. Let's just give a percent on this and then we'll let it play out. I think, you know, and I'll just give my two bits. I, I, I'm i I'm like you, Diane. I'm hopeful, but I think the politics of today are kind of where you said it, Greta. I think people don't want to have certain things happen before November and therefore, you know, Elizabeth's percent is probably pretty damn close. And uh, it's really, it's too bad because I think everyone agrees on infrastructure. That's the, the, we started out talking that, right? No one disagrees. And we can look in our own home communities or any of our clients, they can tell us a list of things that they see every day that need to be fixed, repaired, or they see an opportunity of a new economic development project that just can't get off the ground because it's not the road to it, for example. Mines are a great example of that. And so we, you know, it's going to be an interesting play here. But again, Thank you all for being here. And I thank you for being here from Los Angeles, from our office there. That just shows the reach of Brownstein. We're not just D.C.-based. We have offices around the country that serve clients in many different ways. And we serve not only on the federal level, but state-level issues. Uh, And so thank you for being here and being part of this. Thank you all. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein High at Farber Shrek podcast series. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Visit bhfs.com for more information.